is expecting you. Welcome to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, Mako's Logbook Edition, the Legend of Korra podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book One, Episode One, Welcome to Republic City. Joining me as always is my lovely co-panelist. Hello there, Corey. We made it to the start of Korra. Korra dropped on Netflix this weekend. Is as last I checked, number two on trending on Netflix, which is really great. So people are definitely listening. So if you are new to listening to this as you binge watch, as always, we are an Avatar and Korra podcast. And yes, we know the future. That means spoilers for all of the Legend of Korra ahead. If you have not watched all of Korra, you probably shouldn't listen to this unless you just don't care at all about spoilers because we will be talking about the entire show. As that said, we are talking about this episode, Welcome to Republic City, but we are talking about it in the context of the entirety of Korra. So if that's something you're interested in, listen in, because this is what we do. Also, if you're interested in hearing us do this kind of thing about Avatar The Last Airbender, we have spoken about every one of those episodes. You can find those here in the same feed. Just scroll up. We went through every episode of Avatar The Last Airbender in the exact same format as this. So you can check that out as well. So Corey, usually when I have a guest on, who's not a normal panelist, I ask them their history with the show. But since this is the very first episode, this is, I guess, your first time on Korra, I want to ask you that. What is your history with The Legend of Korra? So I finished Last Airbender um, years ago, like a long time ago. I I don't have years. I don't know how old I was. And I knew Korra existed, so I, I never watched Korra live. I just, I didn't know it existed until it was too late. And then, you know, live TV, it's already in the middle of the show. So I never watched it live. So I jumped into Korra. It must have been around college for sure, the beginning of college. And I watched the first book, season one, and I liked it. There, there was something holding it back for me, but I made it through the entire first season and quite enjoyed myself. And then I started book two and hated it and despised it even, and I couldn't make it through book two and stopped. And then I met you at my job when I started working uh, at my old job for a state senator, and you and I started talking about our love of Avatar, and then you asked me if I ever watched Korra, and I told you exactly what I'm telling you now, and you said, no, you gotta finish Korra. Trust me, it gets better. It's really good. So... Gritting my teeth, I made it through the rest of book two. I never rewatched book one, mind you. So right now, me watching episode one right now was the first time I saw episode one since I originally ever saw it. So it was brought back a lot of uh, memories. And I gritted through book two. It, it was not good. Then three and four really improved, and I made it through pretty smoothly through the rest of the show. And my thoughts about Korra are... As people who know and listen to me know, I'm a really big Star Wars fan. I compare it to the Clone Wars and Rebels, where Clone Wars is some of the best Star Wars material ever made. It's not perfect, but it's close to perfect for Star Wars. And the Rebels um, does not really hold a candle to how good Clone Wars is, but Rebels itself has great characters, some of the greatest moments in all of Star Wars, and overall deserves its place in the Star Wars mythos, and I would tell any Star Wars fan to watch Rebels. Um, Same thing with Avatar and Korra. I view it... Avatar is the best cartoon I think ever made. Uh, I guess, spoiler alerts, my overall rating of Avatar The Last Airbender is a 10 out of 10, despite some of its minor, minute flaws. uh, The worst episode of Avatar The Last Airbender is still still average television, while, like, my favorite TV show... I think ever is probably like Star Trek The Next Generation. Some of the worst episodes of Star Trek are unwatchable. I can't watch it. But Avatar The Last Airbender doesn't have that issue. I can watch every episode of Last Airbender, whether it's the worst episode of Last Airbender or not, and still be able to stomach every single episode of Last Airbender. Korra has a very big mantle to live up to for me, because Avatar is the best cartoon I think ever made, American cartoon. And it 
it, 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 you know, it's not a perfect show, but it's great. It has some of the best villains in all of Avatar. It has some of the best episodes and moments in all of Avatar. But the highs are very high, but the lows are also very low. I don't get attached to any new Korra, Korra character as much as I did with any Avatar The Last Airbender character, so that's kind of a problem for me. Um, but that being said, rewatching episode one, I really enjoyed myself, and this episode to me was very good and is a good start for me rewatching Korra because I really enjoyed myself in this first episode. So I guess that's my overall thoughts of Korra. Yeah, I mean, if if you listen to my my initial thoughts that I, that I posted um, earlier in the week about Korra, I mean, I have a very similar uh, view on the show as Corey does. And to be honest, the, the the Star Wars Clone Wars to Rebels comparison is a very apt one. Now, I probably am slightly higher on Korra in relation to Avatar, although I actually think that they're pretty comparable in that I think, as much as I love Clone Wars, and we have talked about Clone Wars much on this show, there are some lows in Clone Wars that are really low i mean you know you know that as well as i do when droids show up i just don't actually want to watch um with that being said i mean i think what you said is i mean i had a very similar journey with the show I and mean, I've, I've said that before on this show so you know weirdly i think that we are going into this in a very like oddly similar place which i don't know that, that's a little scary we agree more than we disagree i don't like that so now that might be your initial thoughts on the show and you hinted that just a little bit, but as we always do, I want you to give you give me your initial thoughts on, on this episode. And I guess it's going to be kind of an interesting one because normally we know these shows pretty backwards and forwards. But I'm guessing for you, you didn't you probably didn't remember everything that happened in this episode. So what was your what was your initial thoughts going in? It was great. It's it's a phenomenal start to the series, especially if someone were to watch it for the first time. Um, music wise, it's phenomenal. It it completely hits the music. I think stole it for me this entire episode. The music was just as good as Last Airbender, if not in some ways better from the beginning of the episode to when they make it to New Republic City. Phenomenal. Graphically, in terms of animation, phenomenal. Again, I want to say 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10 for animation, 10 out of 10 for music. Um, The the humor is still there. It feels exactly like Avatar. Um, I will, like, there's one of my favorite animes of all time is jojo's bizarre adventure and every season is a jump ahead farther into the future from the previous season so you see the descendants of the characters from before and cora did it in a phenomenal way just like you know like a show like that you you jump ahead i i love how they tactfully handled it they could have easily leaned back into having all the characters still be alive outside of Aang, obviously and i think that would have been a huge mistake i think uh uh, I think uh, the way they handled everything was ph- phenomenal, and Katara is the perfect, you know, bridge to this series. I'm not the biggest fan of Korra, but I do like how Korra is the exact opposite of Aang. Like, in every single way, you could be the exact opposite of Aang. The first lines out of her mouth were that I am the Avatar, and she is an apt bender, she is... And, and she's literally in every way, shape, and form the opposite of Aang, which I, so I do enjoy that contrast there. I love New Republic City. I love the technology they're showing us. I love the aesthetics of the show. So it's a very strong start for the series. And I think, you know, if you're going into this fresh-faced, uh, this, this would excite any fan of Avatar The Last Airbender for what's to come. Okay. So... I'm actually going to kind of disagree with the, the last thing that you just said in that I really did not like this episode when I first saw it. Right away, there were so many things about it that were just off to me. I mean, first of all, you know, Korra as a character, as much as you might say I love, you know, you love that she's everything that's not Aang, at first I hated that she was everything that Aang wasn't. I was like, wait a minute, no, why is Korra like not you know this goofy kid like Aang is why is there technology in this world why are there cars why is any of this happening and at first I kind of resented it and that's why it took me so long to get through this show nowadays going in though I have just a completely opposite opinion and feel exactly what Corey was just saying that this is really a phenomenal opening for this show and 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 kind of incredible just how much I liked it I mean all we'll talk a lot about Cora and, and her character 
throughout this. But, you know, as I said in my, in my original intro, like, I just love Korra as a character and, and seeing her in this initial state, it all makes total sense why she she acts acts the way that she does. But in general, just like understanding that this is not Avatar. And this is the most important thing I will say to anyone anyone watching the series. And, and just like, if you, you know, if you are going into this series blind at all, this is not Avatar The Last Airbender. It's not supposed to be. If it was exactly a remake of Avatar The Last Airbender, you know what? We don't need that. We already have Avatar. We can rewatch Avatar as many times as we want. I don't want to see that story retold with new characters. I don't actually know anything about it, but like from what it sounds like with what they did with Naruto and their sister series where they just retold the show but with the next generation, so to speak, that's not interesting. And this would not be an interesting show if we got the exact same thing again. So understand that if you go in expecting this to be exactly like Avatar, it's not going to be that, but that is completely and totally okay. So as we get in, let's just first take a minute just to talk about the intro and something I want to just sort of flag for you. Once you once you get through Kyoshi, I think we should do like a a four talking about the four avatars that have that we have like real content from Aang, um, Korra, Kyoshi, and, and Roku, and kind of comparing and contrasting them as as people. I'd love to I'd love to do that because I really like the nice touch that at the beginning of the episode, the four benders are the four most recent avatars. There's something like I don't know, really cool about like it's Kiyoshi, it's Roku, it's Aang, and it's it's Korra. I re- that I really liked. Well, I have good news for you. I actually, before recording today, I started rereading the Kiyoshi book. I already made it through the the uh, first chapter, so hopefully by the time we're through this, definitely by the time we're done with this, this I'll be done with the Kiyoshi books, even the second oh, one. Yeah. So for sure. Um, so right away, something that I, I noted um, a while back, actually during our Boiling Rock. Uh, podcast in, in Avatar Last Airbender, but I love, first of all, I just love the painting that opens the series when Tenzin is giving in his initial monologue. It's just like, it's so, it's just a beautiful piece of art, which I loved. But I just want to give one quick, like, Avatar discussion, and I guess this is kind of, we can use as our bridge. It's really interesting that Suki is in this painting, and we talked about it back in Burnley Rock, because Suki is like, in like, seven episodes of that or i don't know maybe 10 episodes of the original series and yet she is important enough to be immortalized in that final painting which is really like a testament to to suki as a character and just like one last little like wow yeah she got her, just her last moment and i good on suki because I, I love suki as a character she's she's amazing but it's like really incredible that she's she's there well she was i, well, I, I guess you could say pivotal in sosin's comic a comet I think it's implied. I mean, there's no proof of this, and I forgot about the comics, but I'm assuming she ends up, like, with Sokka, right? Is that, is that like, the f- mm-hmm. there's no evidence of that, I guess? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's evidence of some things, but well, we're, she, we're not she, she helped right now. She helped, you know, bring Zuko oh. to be the Fire Lord, and, you know, She the, certainly the f- was pivotal. I'm not, I'm not down, I'm not downplaying her role. I'm just saying that, like, okay, you're the creators of this story, and you're saying, okay, we're going to immortalize kind of the the main characters from the original series and we're going to immortalize like Aang's friends obviously Toph, Sokka, Katara, Zuko if you, I'm not I'm wondering if there was any question about Suki if that was an automatic thing or if there was a conversation about that I'm just I'm wondering I don't know I, I'm not I have no problem with it I just I, I, I really like it but it's it's curious to me that she ends up being such an important character within this story when, you know, up until like the middle of book three, she was in one, two, three, four episodes. Just interesting. That's all I'm saying. All right. So you in your talk in your intro talked about uh, Cora's first line and, you know, what a way to introduce a character. Korra bending three of the elements with I am the Avatar, you've got to deal with it. Because that's her character. And like to sum up her character in one line that's actually pretty funny and plays as a nice comedic beat, but it's just like the perfect introduction to what Korra is. Like if when you compare the fact that in the first episode of this, Korra's line is I am the Avatar, you have to deal with it. While Aang's first line, or not first line, but Aang's sort of first mentioning of the Avatar is, why didn't you tell us you were the Avatar? Because I never wanted to be. 
I mean, talk about dichotomy. And he said, like, they're opposites in every way. Oh, yeah. And, like, right from the start, like, this is fundamentally different to who Aang was. Well, I, I have a – see, I have a question for you, and this confused me. Yeah. Like, she knew – first off, I, I always thought, whether you're the Avatar or not the Avatar, bending is something that Reed needs to be Kiyoshi. taught to you. What? Read Kiyoshi. Um, Okay. Well, no, I did. I read the the, fo- the forward paragraph where they did the toy test and they... they well, what I'm saying... My point being that, and I guess some spoilers for Kiyoshi, the process of determining the Avatar is not as set in stone as, say, it was for Roku. And bending ability is different... There's a difference between being able to manipulate the elements and being able to um, have for- having the formal training to actually do it correctly. Because she seemed pretty strong as, like, a child with literally zero training with all three elements. I mean, I think Korra is an incredibly good natural bender. In Avatar, you're telling me there's midichlorians? Um, No, but some people are better natural benders than others. Toph invented metal bending. Toph was the greatest earthbending in the world at... 12 years old. No, my age has nothing to do with it. And I, it's just, it's such, again, I guess we're talking about opposites here. Like, well, remember, when remember, Aang... what I'm saying is, remember Toph, quote, I never had a problem seeing. I saw with earthbending. She could earthbend from the time she was essentially could walk. No, sure, sure, sure. I'm just thinking, again, with, with Aang, at least to my knowledge, all I, he, he only obviously could airbend out of the iceberg. And like it just it especially like I again that's why I think we're saying opposites are opposites here. But Aang had such issues learning the other elements outside of oh, air. That's not actually true. Aang had an issue with earth bending. Aang starts being taught by Katara, and it can immediately bend like incredibly well. And when he starts learning fire bending, Jong Jong is like he has the most natural power I've ever seen in a, in someone. All right. All so, right. Key, like, and we're about to transition into the, the, the Mary Sue question, so I, this is actually a really good transition. But, like, the Aang is a bad bender is actually not borne out by the evidence. Aang is not quite the bender that Korra is and, and probably not the bender that, that Kyoshi will eventually be. But, like, Aang is a really, really talented bender. I mean, keep in mind, he was the, I'm pretty sure canonically he's the youngest airbending master ever. So, like, let's not... It's really not that different. It's just that Korra can bend all of the elements from the start of the show. Keep in mind that Korra at this point is 17. Aang has, quote, mastered the four elements five years earlier than Korra did. Just saying. Um, with that said, as I, as I began to hint, you know, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a lot of kind of big disclaimers that I'm gonna give throughout throughout this as like things that people talk about as criticism of the show that are, I'm just going to say it, not fair criticisms of the show. And the Cora is a Mary Sue thing is absolutely ridiculous and absolutely not borne out by the evidence. And this one is actually really funny because many of the people who claim this will then immediately start talking about Cora's character flaws. And the whole point of a Mary Sue is they don't have character flaws. Look, if you think that Korra is a Mary Sue, and I actually posted this on, on Twitter actually a, a few weeks ago during an argument about this, then what you're saying is you don't look at a character outside of their raw fighting ability and you don't look at anything else. The fact of the matter is Korra's journey is not learning to manipulate the four elements. Yes, she is going to learn airbending and there is the, the her, uh, her issues with airbending throughout book one. But at the end of the day, Korra is an incredibly good natural bender her struggles are emotional and spiritual and that's completely fine it doesn't make her less of a character because we didn't get to see her earthbending master the fact is as i kind of said before we already got the story of a avatar mastering the three elements learning from their respective teachers instead this is a story that does something different, and I'm really glad that it does. And if you can't get over the idea that Korra is a good bender right from the start, and you're like, no, all bending ability, we have to see every bit of her training, 
I don't know what you're asking for. Like you re- like what you what you how you think this show would be better. And I want you to really think. Do you think Cora would be a better show if we had like four episodes of her training in the compound in the Southern Water Tribe learning the elements? Cuz I don't think anyone needed to see that and I don't think this show would have been better served by it. No, oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. All right, to say something, switch it, because that can be a little negative. To say something very, very positive, you said before that how good the music is. Oh, my God, the first song in this, the, the, the firebending training song, is so good. And I will say to one thing, to anyone who has uh, access to a, to a VR system, I have played that specific song on, on the game Beat Saber, and it is the closest I've ever come to feeling like a bender in my life. And it is so great, and I would recommend it to anyone because it's just—it's a perfect song for like getting in you, getting you in the mood to like be a firebender. It's—I love it so much. Oh yeah, every song in this first episode, and it has such a diverse soundtrack. Like what you're hearing in the beginning was like epic, swelling music, kind of reminiscent to The Last Airbender. And then when you make it to New Republic City, it turns into this like hybrid of like. Wait, it is not New Republic City. It is just Republic City. I'm sorry. I'm a Star Wars is tying me up. Yeah, Republic City. There's just like uh, ties to like 20s. You know, throw music. Ah, oh, the, the soundtrack in yeah. this was. And I, that's a really great thing because, in many ways, the first half of the episode is is really tying to the original series. We're in a location we've been to before, the Southern Water Tribe. We're with the White Lotus. We're with Katara. We're with sort of what seems like a pretty natural thing: the Avatar learning the elements from from their masters. So the score fits like much closer to Avatar. But once we've shifted over, shifted over to Republic City, which is completely different is this brand new setting the music character takes on that different feel and it's a really nice like it's really stories that are going to do this that are going to kind of evolve where you're going to you're going to sort of break away from the mold of something from before it's always good to have like that initial comfortable thing that feels very normal and very natural and then begin to move in a new direction towards something different um i almost compare it to the um first couple of scenes in Prisoner of Azkaban, where Alfonso Cron is really trying to introduce a very new tone to the Harry Potter films, but the first couple scenes have a very similar feel to the original that kind of ease you into this new stuff. And I think it's really smart that like we start here as opposed to like starting in Republic City and it's like, nope, everything's different right from the start. Right. And I, I think it's a, a really good way because once you make it to Republic City, it is as you said, it almost like feels like a completely different show. Aesthetically, it is – first off, I, I, I'm not sure if you want to jump there yet, but like Republic City is gorgeous. Everything yeah. about Republic City is just insane. Yeah, and I mean look, as a as a New Yorker, I really like that it's that it's Manhattan. I do really like that it's New York. It's like just like obviously New York City – um, like down to like you go in there in the in the intro and you like see the geography and you're like – Wait, that's literally just Manhattan. You've got the, the 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 sort of city that's jutting out. The that's you know with the two sort of peninsula on on each side. I was like, okay, I, I see what you're doing there, guys. I like it. Um, yeah. Now you so you mentioned in in your intro sort of the 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 use of Katara kind of as the bridge, and I really I'm gonna say I think one of the the fair criticisms of the show is I don't think they have a a great sense of how to use the original cast at times. However, in this episode, I think is a, is a absolutely perfect use of Katara as kind of the bridge. I mean, you know, remember Katara is our viewfinder in the first series. She's the first character that we see. She's the first person we hear within the, within the series and the, um, you know, getting to see her here. Like she, there really is some really, really good stuff from, from Katara that influences her character. I mean, first of all, you sort of see that the White Lotus members being, like, somewhat critical of Korra. They're, like, you know, she lacks restraint. She's not ready. And just, like, you can see that, like, smile on, on Katara's face when she's watching Korra. And, you know, it's also, like, very sad to think about, like, Katara's watching Korra, who for literally represents the death of the love of her life. Like, Aang... Korra being born is the signal of Aang dying. And the fact that she's essentially been here throughout the entirety of her development, 
Like, it's very sad, but it's exactly what you would expect from Katara. Like, that is her character. That's who she is. She would not, like, resent, like, in any way resent Korra for, like, existing because it means that Aang is dead. Like, you know that that's what Korra would, what Katara would do. And, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what she could be. And look, we're gonna, we're gonna talk at length throughout this, uh, throughout this series about some of the original characters and some of the direction that their lives took and whether those things were in character and out of character and that's gonna happen but at least for this moment i think katara just acts exactly as you would have always believed that she would and i and i love it well it's funny to to be i guess parallel to star wars rebels which also takes place in the future (laughs) mark you and i make this joke all the time but some of the best moments in rebels have to do with clone wars characters or established star wars characters while here they 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 don't waste time telling you they're like Sokka's dead like everyone you more or less know is dead and like it's not everyone i mean well no no but you know what i mean and tough and of the gang Korra, three of five are alive yeah, Korra, but however you know they're here for some cameo episodes Korra does not lean into the original series at all it, it, it yeah, keeps which, with characters which is which is smart i it's i actually think is really important because like i said this is not if you want like look i want more with our favorite characters from from last airbender and guess what they exist read the comics that stuff exists and it's great and i love it but Korra is supposed to be its own series. And while it will irrelevantly be tied to the original series, and look, even though many of the new characters are essentially descendants of, you know, main main characters. I mean, you have Lin in this episode, you have Tenzin, who are both children of, of Avatar characters. And like, in many ways, Korra is, you know, a new version of that as, you know, as, you know, literally a reincarnation of Aang. But it, it needed to do that. It needs to, it needs to break away. And I'm glad that like, it's not like Katara is a main character in the series. And I think that you can make an argument that one of the criticisms you can have of the sequel trilogy in Star Wars, of the Disney Star Wars movies, is like, do Luke, Han, and Leia play a little too much of a role? Is it a little too much their story when, like, we've gotten their story already? Well, not only that, it the sequels lean into the visuals of the original trilogy to where there's no originality, while Korra, as soon as you make it to Republic City, it's like a, it's a brand new show with the, the, the evolution in technology. It feels like the future. It feels aesthetically something like we've literally never seen in Avatar. So... It's risk taking, and it's it's doing something new, and uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm saying, yeah, no, I'm gonna say I think that you can really sum up Cora, especially the beginning, as Cora was a risk. There, there is no way around it. Cora was a, was taking a risk with doing the things they do, making the characters older. I mean, the main cast of Cora are teenagers; they're not children. Making you know, hell, making a female protagonist like that was a, these are things that were risks, and I'm glad for that. You know, we, we don't when you play it too safe. You make really boring, mediocre stuff. And I, I listen. I'm saying these as compliments, and I, again, I'm, I'm happy. But this also now falls into a criticism I have of the show. I, I honestly don't think any new character in Korra like hits the levels I had at Last Airbender. I, I, I know where this is where we're going to start. Fundamentally disagree with you. But I'm, I'm, but I'm not lying to you. I, and I, I swear it's going. I don't remember the names of a lot of the characters. Here's the thing. <laughs> We were only introduced to a few characters in this episode, so let's wait until we've been introduced right, we will. to a few we more will. characters Absolutely. before we have that. And I, I will, I'll, I'll put my auto subtraction of a point. Aang's grandchildren, I hate them. I hate them all. So I disagree. They I are the, they are the droids of Korra for me. <laughs> I, I dis, I disagree. I love Janora. She's so Janora. Awesome. Janora's fine, but right now in this episode, she's not. She's just like the other kids. And they're children, though. I know they, they, they're supposed to feel like children. I, I know. I don't like children. <laughs> okay, well that's fine. Speaking of new characters, I will give you this one. We meet Naga. I like Naga. Naga's great. Naga isn't Appa, and I understand that some of that is just. She's not traveling the world, so they're not riding on a bison the way that the gang did. But, you know, as great as Naga is, you're never going to truly top uh, what Appa was. So, you know, just I, I will give you that one. I never, I don't have anything wrong with, uh, with the dog. I think the dog is very cute. I don't have a problem with the dog. I'm just saying that, like, 
Naga definitely is a step down from from Appa. Sure, sure. But it, it, in terms of it, it makes perfect sense for someone in the southern, you know, water tribe to have like a giant dog that could run through snow and. Try oh yeah, it's yeah. a polar bear. Dogs are cool. I do. I, I like I said. I really like Naga. I'm just saying that like, if I'm being fair, if you were expecting Naga to be Appa, that's not what Naga is. She's a Naga is a much more secondary character like not naga really isn't a character in the way that appa was now i will say i want to say this i have issues with tenzin as a character i think that tenzin does get the short of it stick on a lot of things i think unfortunately we're going to see throughout this tenzin is given a lot of exposition a lot of just telling the audience stuff which hurts him so much jk simmons is so good as tenzin he is the perfect person to play this role and you know what J.K. Simmons is just an incredible actor and should and is in a lot of things and continue to put J.K. Simmons in things. Well, you just blew my mind because I did not know that that was J.K. Simmons. That is J.K. Simmons. And J.K. Simmons has been in, in a lot of things and he's been a, really good in a lot of things, mainly a lot of st- superhero stories. But he's so good as Tenzin. I love his performance. No, yeah, I, I love him. Yeah, yeah, I I love J.K. Simmons. We're in complete agreement. <laughs> um, all right, so let's you know I said in my in my initial thoughts that like originally, Cora really bothered me. Not just the show, but Cora as a character. And and right off the bat, right when she begins to have this conversation with Tenzin, is a perfect like encapsulation of how much I've changed on her character. At first, I was like. This is not a great... Cora's being really bratty. I mean, there's just lack of a better term. Like, she's, like, expects that, like, Tenzin is just going to pick up his life and move to the South Pole to teach her. And, like, no, he has responsibilities. And the way she's acting, like, wait, political affairs is something that she should be involved in. And she's not. And she's a really good bender on her own. And, like, yeah, I get it. There's only one person to teach her airbending. But, like, the way she talks is just kind of ridiculous nowadays though i completely just changed my opinion on that and i love this scene i love what it says about cora because it actually makes complete and total sense first and foremost cora does not want to be locked in this compound she wants to be out having adventures she wants to be doing all of these things but she's forced to be locked in and the one thing that she clearly has to look forward to is learning the elements she loves bending and she's incredibly excited about learning bending. So for her to get, you know, to get to start airbending, this is something she's been looking forward to. And to be told, no, you can't do it. And for the reason to be some political situation that she's essentially told, no, you can't be involved in, of course that's going to really upset her. That's the, that is the crux of Cora's character. Cora's struggle throughout this series, if as Aang was shrinking from his responsibilities because he didn't want to be the Avatar, Korra's is, I'm the Avatar, I want to be involved in all these things and have these responsibilities, but being told by people, no, you can't because you have to, you know, you have to do something else. And yes, I'm not saying that Korra isn't immature in this scene, she absolutely is, but I totally understand why a 17-year-old girl who has never been able to go anywhere else besides this compound and learn bending is immature. Like, that's, of course she would be. Like, it would, it, it actually would be really weird and not make sense if she wasn't. So, once I realize that this, her immaturity is the thing that she needs to get over, I am so happy that this is where it started. Yeah, I complete, I completely agree. I, I, here's the thing, too. I also am paralleling this episode to the first episode of The Last Airbender and where Aang was when you first meet Aang, and Aang isn't that likable in episode one, at least for, I guess you could say for me, like as a kid, maybe you'll, you'll like him because he's a funny, you know, laid back kid that, you know, has all these like jovial moments. But, you know, I, Aang is not instantly likable in the beginning. And it, if anything, Korra right now with the, her flaws up at front, I, right now, I prefer Korra as a character I think, more than Aang in the beginning I think of the show. The, I think the better way to phrase it, because I don't disagree, but I, because I end up, well, I'm just saying right now. I like Korra more as a character than I. But I think the way to say it is Korra is more relatable because she is she feels like a more of a normal person. 
I think Aang might be more likable as a person because he's just so nice and like Aang feels like someone that would be really fun, especially as a kid, to hang out with. Like you would have a fun time with Aang in episode one. Well, I also, I, well, yeah, but I also lean. But look, as you as you get old, but this is part about getting older. Look, as I said, being a risk. Cora is not a twelve-year-old. She's seventeen. That's you learn a lot in five years. There's a very big difference between being a middle schooler and being like essentially at the end of high school. You you are a pretty different person. And Cora, when you start to get older, is going to be more relatable when as a as a real person. And not to say Aang doesn't have flaws. We spent an entire podcast talking about Aang's flaws. But like Aang's flaws are much less are honestly much less relatable than Cora's. Yeah, and I, I, the also I I I I'm the opposite. I prefer Aang over Cora, but that's because I prefer like diplomats, the spiritual side of things, all that type of stuff more than I prefer just like you know punchy punchy. I'm gonna like... make I'm I want to make a note of this now, and I'm very curious how you feel about this at the end of the series. I'm not saying you're gonna change. I'm just curious. Let me let, let me give you another. If anything compar- does, let me give you another comparison to you know other media I watch. Star Trek. There's Kirk and there's Picard, and Cora's a lot more like Kirk. And I prefer. I want to be very clear that I have seen three episodes of original series, and I've never seen an episode of Next Generation. So I don't. I cannot give you a comment on this. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's the the cowboy you know action speaks louder than words type person and Kirk and then there's the diplomat and the you know I, I, I don't I, forget you know womanizer yes and I guess you could say Cora is not a womanizer I mean she is but uh. <laughs> well I'm just saying Cora Cora is a little better with the with uh, her romantic pursuits than, than Aang well yeah yeah I suppose but yeah, I, I, it's, it's not a detriment to Korra as a character that she's written worse than Aang. It's just my preference and what I like. Well, no, that's that's totally fine. And, and also, yeah, and also, what I want to see out of the role of the Avatar. By the way, I always, I imagine the Avatar to be Aang. And I know there's probably a lot that happens in the Kyoshi books that deviates from what I expect the Avatar role to be. Um, but I imagine, no. I imagine the Avatar to be a Jedi. And Aang is a lot more like a Jedi than Korra. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I don't agree with that statement. Aang is more of what the Jedi say they should be. Korra is more of what the Jedi actually end up being. I suppose. I mean, I, I, I don't know. She's But that is because the Jedi don't actually live up to their ideals. So that's, you know, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, we actually get to make it to Republic City. And I suppose this is uh, uh, second to last one. So next uh, explainer of things that at one point bothered me and bother a lot of people in the fandom, but now do not. Technology within the Legend of Korra. Is it weird? Yes. Coming off of Avatar The Last Airbender, is it like odd to suddenly see cars in a world and skyscrapers? 100%. And at first it was incredibly off-putting to me. But if you really start to think about it, there is technology in Avatar The Last Airbender. There are steamships. There are, um, you know, trains. There's a drill. If you really want to place the technology, it's somewhere in between 1850, 1870 era. This is 70 years later. Well, 70 years later would be 1920s, 1930s. What's the aesthetic? 1920s. So it actually makes total sense. I know this isn't exactly our world, so like technology is not going to advance exactly the same. And I think I, I think Corey would agree with the statement I'm about to make. I like it when technology is influenced by bending because it makes it feel really we, like lived in in this world itself. But like the end of the day, it's not the idea that we have cars. Once you have steamships in a universe, and again, there were steamships in Episode One of Avatar: The Last Airbender. You're not that far away from cars, so it's really not that weird. Nope. And I, when I first watched the show, I actually liked it a lot. I, when I first, like when I first watched it, I liked the idea of technology being there. But then it's funny. The more season one went on, the more I, I guess, yearned for Last Airbender. And even though I really enjoyed season one during my first viewing of it, to the point where like I wanted to watch season two, um, there was still like something wrong in the back of my head where I'm like, this isn't Avatar The Last Airbender. And I think... Do you want me to tell you what it is? 
this is something I mean we can kind of talk about it now I mean but it's going to kind of more come up in the next couple episodes just because of where we are the thing that was the most challenging for me when I first watched the show is that you stay in one setting for the entire basically the entirety of the book while Avatar especially book one is jumping from place to place and it's so much more of this adventurous spirit and that ends up working really well in book one because at its core Aang's character is about like you know He's actually thinking away from his avatar responsibilities, so he he's jumping, you know, kind of just going on these random adventures because he wants to. But the thing that feels really weird is you end up being stuck in this similar place. And you talked about like comparing Clone Wars and Rebels. It's kind of the same thing where Rebels, especially season one, you're just like on Lothal the whole time. While in Clone Wars, it's like we're at this battle. Oh, we're following Rex. Oh, actually Yoda's off doing Yoda things, and oh, we're in the Jedi Temple, and it's like. It's a, such a different aesthetic. It's a fundamentally different story from like jumping from different setting, different places, feeling diversity to like we are in one city for the entirety of book one. Yeah, I, I suppose you're right. Um, and yeah. that is another thing that bothered me a lot at first. Once you know it's the case, once you've internalized that you're not going to move – it becomes a lot easier to deal with because you're suddenly not comparing it to Avatar, you're comparing it to itself. Sure, that's, that's fair. So, something we talked a lot about that I found really good about Avatar The Last Airbender is the subtle ways that they were willing to hint at, you know, deeper things going on. And, you know, I really like that right at the very beginning, we kind of get to see there's a reasonably big homeless problem in Republic City. Like, Cora just meets this person who's a homeless, who's like, and then she says, so there's a lot of vagabonds, and he's kind of like, yeah. That's kind of an interesting thing to throw in. Look, I wish there was more of this stuff. I'm not saying that, like, homelessness is, like, a theme of this book at all. But, I don't know, when you are making a story that at its core is, like, essentially a story of economics and the, the equalists are basically making a an economic point that the existence of bending and magical powers is you know unfair economically to the to non-benders you know leaning into the economics is probably a good idea right at the start well i mean the industrial revolution obviously happened um it, this is capitalism obviously um and there's gonna be poor people as a result <laughs> the well-offs and the not well-offs and i, I do yes. i do like the the non-vet again like there's always gonna have to be a scapegoat for why you're upset and the fact that these uh, they're they're making benders versus non-benders that that theme it actually makes perfect sense for their universe yeah and i mean look there is at the end of the day the equals aren't entirely wrong that like a system where some people are born into having magical powers and some people are born into not is kind of a fundamental problem economically because we will see throughout this book and throughout Korra that there are legitimate jobs that you can't do if you're a non-bender. That's a problem. Like functionally, that's a, like that is an economic problem. And it would make sense that society would have to, to reckon with this. And, you know... I'm glad that the Equalists have a point. Look, we'll talk about Amon a lot. I have problems with Amon, but I do like that at least his movement isn't like, you know, mustache twirling evil. Like, there is something going on there. Yes, uh, and we will get into it when the time comes, especially because he obviously appears at the end of the episode, but Korra's biggest strength it, 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 and this where I, I could easily say it blows the last airbender out of the water is their villains and Amon is a really good first villain and already one of my favorites and like honestly last airbender had Azula the fire lord I wouldn't count as one of the greats he's just a force of nature he was fine and then you have Admiral Zhao which who, who was very good but Korra, this is the strength of Korra is their villains. And I, I think Amon is a very good idea and concept for a first villain. Especially, I agree. Very good idea, very good context concept. Not great execution, but we'll get to that. All right, so this will be the last explainer of things that people have a problem with within the fandom. But this is one that I also have seen a lot and I don't agree with. 
there are a lot of people who are upset that bending is no longer as much a majestic martial arts and has suddenly turned into street fighting. And very soon we're going to see a sport in pro bending. This is weird to me that this is a criticism because it absolutely makes sense. First and foremost, it's exactly what happened within the much of the, the world. If you look at the, the, the evolution of martial arts within many of these Asian countries, I mean, the, the, the samurai went from, you know, swordsmen to many of them just being like, you know, in cities and essentially street fighting. And look, at the end of the day, when you suddenly move into a more industrialized world, less people are going to have the formal martial arts sort of training under a master that we saw in The Last Airbender, and more people are going to be pushed into back alley street fighting because that's what happens when you're in a much bigger city, a much more industrialized area. And the fact is we've seen bending used in different ways in the past and seeing the evolution of it here, I don't. I think it makes total sense within this world and I don't really understand why people have such a problem with this other than like, it looks different than it looked in The Last Airbender. And sure, it does look different, but like, so what? Why, why is that a problem? I, n- I never had an issue with it. Okay. Well, I'm glad I, you didn't. But no, I, I, I are, actually, I love... people who do. I love the concept of the, the, the pro sports bending. I thought that was such an interesting concept to me when I first watched book one. It was actually one of the, the things that kept me going throughout the early episodes. I, lo- I love that concept. But I think what you're trying to say is that things that feel too different are what turned fans yeah. off in the beginning. Every At the end of the day, every one of these explainers boils down to it's not Avatar, it is going to be different, and I'm, it should be different. If it was exactly the same, that wouldn't be, wouldn't be what we want. Um, that being said, talking about things that progress... I love metal bending. I love the, the the progression of metal bending and that suddenly it's become like much more commonplace and that like Toph literally invented this technique 70 years ago and now you have like this entire police force using metal bending, the cables that are set up throughout the city for them to use. God, I love it. Toph yep. is so cool. I, and it kind of parallels how Boomy and earth bending were introduced where how Earthbending was such a fundamental concept of earthbending cities with the mail system and stuff like that. So now that metal bending has been tied into like the complete architecture and uses of the city, it just it's such a natural extension. And and yeah, I love their police force. I I absolutely thought that was such a good introduction. I have I have you on record uttering the words I love a police force. I just want to be clear about that. Well, that's this is gonna age nicely. And age nicely as though like that is going to become a problem it isn't already one yeah, um, yeah although speaking of police that i like this is where i have to disagree with you right off the bat lynn is an awesome character i love lynn bayfong when did i ever so much. i never said anything bad about lynn no but you said i don't think the core the new core characters can hold a candle to avatar characters i mean i like Toph more than lynn <laughs> so yes i I'm not entirely sure I I feel that way. Lynn is awesome. Yes. She's so cool. Yes. I never said me liking Toph or thinking Toph is a much more iconic character makes Lynn any worse off, but she is. I mean, <laughs> I, I will probably agree with you that I probably like Toph more, but I don't know if I would put them in different stratospheres. I think they're probably closer together, at least in my opinion, than, than you think. I mean, I, boy, is Lynn... Toph's daughter, by the way, I, I, I you know, <laughs> that's that is true. She is she is Toph's daughter through and through. Um, so one little shot that I really loved, I, I love. First of all, I just something I we neglected to mention earlier. It's interesting to me that the statue of Ang is is Ang as a twelve year old and not Ang as an adult. It it does kind of show like at the end of the day, Ang is going to be remembered for. The Hundred Years' War. The thing that we saw in, in The Last Airbender is the thing that is Aang's truest legacy. And I think it, 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 we get to see that through the fact that his statue is, you know, is him as a kid as opposed to, you know, things he might have done later in life. See, I, I don't, I didn't know, because I, I see that statue of Aang and it's kind of 
like Uncanny Valley from Twelve Year Old. I, that looks more aged to me. She doesn't looks, have a beard. Well, oh, but when does Aang supposedly get the beard? You like you know, like he could be like eighteen. By that, the time that he's in a, by the time any time we've seen Aang as an adult, he has the beard. All right. Then yeah, it's probably a memorial to him. You know, the. I mean, I'm not saying it's necessarily him twelve. I mean that they probably like actually started to sculpt it when he was a little bit older and it, it, he probably looks a little older but it is like it does feel like a much clearer acknowledgement of ang as a child as opposed to ang as an adult it's not adult ang it might be teenager ang just because of that's when it was like sculpted but it's meant to be like the thing that they are memorializing is ang's victory over the fire nation as opposed to something he might have done in the next 60 years of his life Um, and then, you know, with that said, the, the the moment of seeing Tenzin looking up at his father's statue, I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta admit, like Tenzin definitely feels a lot of pressure being Aang's descendant. That one, it's his job to sort of rebuild the Air Nation and repopulate Airbenders, and then also his job to train Aang's successor, and, and also then on and top also, of that, well, also, to keep. Republic City, clear. Yeah, I was gonna say keep the dream alive of Republic City too. Yeah, because he's a council. Yes. He's a council member, right? Yeah. So it's like you got to think. I mean, Tenzin is being pulled in like all of these different directions, and to like, you know, there's something kind of fitting that Ang's descendant would be like him, forced to be pulled in different directions and not being sure which one of his responsibilities. Whether, you know, with Aang, you know, am I the Avatar? Am I an airbender? Am I spiritual? Am I violence, etc.? It's like, you know, Tenzin feeling the same pressures that Aang did. There's, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it makes sense. It's, you know, sort of that, that feeling. And, I mean, this is like, I guess, where you start getting the, the foundations of Tenzin's character, where, like, you start getting the, the seeds planted that Aang might have not been a good father. <laughs> I mean, I don't, think, I don't think the seeds are there yet. I don't think you see anything here to know that until much, much later. Oh, maybe yes. Maybe it's just my knowledge it's of probably, it. It's probably, to be but honest, you, you, until... you see his neuroticism, right? And, like, I, I just don't get, like, a warm, fuzzy feeling about their relationship from this first episode. Maybe it's just me me knowing I the think future. That's, I think that is thoughts from all over. I think that's you knowing the future now. Because, like, I, I, don't, I don't think the father stuff really shows up until you meet Kaya and Boomy. Um... And then another, like, big change, seeing the Avatar in the world of the media. Hang never dealt with press. And suddenly Korra's having a press conference. Suddenly Korra is a much more sort of political figure in what we think of his politics as opposed to Hang. You know, Hang's politics is much more sort of, you know, the, you know, grand, quote-unquote, grand diplomacy. But suddenly it's like popular opinion matters, and that's, like, very different. Well, I'm 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 confused as to why they Tencent would allow a press conference to even happen. I if I had to bet, he didn't ha- like he was told that they had to. Because I, I would think if I was Tencent, I'd want the fact that Korra's in Republic City to be as secret as possible. Well, it, I think it's on. because it wasn't because people saw her as the Avatar, and now it you wouldn't surprise talk. me if the other if the other councilmen were like she needs to say something. Sure, sure. But I have to say, too, just because we kind of jumped ahead, the combat and the use of bending has, you know, is just as good as Last Airbender. The entire sequence with the thieves, with the uh, water bending and ice and all that. And one one thing that Korra also does really well, and sort of like, one, partially with the villains in general, but just, if there is a complaint you can make about Avatar, there's a lot of fighting firebenders. There's a lot of water on fire, air on fire. It's really nice that Korra gives us way more diversity in seeing different elements fighting each other in ways we've never seen before. And that's going to become a big deal much later when we see some some other really cool stuff. But even right off the bat, like seeing you know the differences between suddenly you've got multiple people metal bending something we've never seen before. You're seeing you know you know just the mix of different things you know the the fact that this world is more connected like getting to essentially see that through the bending is really i really love that i have a question can an avatar do advanced forms of bending like metal bending and and lava bending yes yeah well yes yeah we've seen avatars do both of those things so yes 
Um, all right. Finally, final scene, we get our first introduction of Amon. Oh, wait, 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 quickly, quickly. So Amon, I hear him talk, and I'm like, I know him. I know the voice. And I jump, and the voice actor is Steve Blum, who is by far and away one of my favorite voice actors of all time. And I am so giddy to realize that Steve Blum, and now J.K. Simmons. Oh, my God. A lot of your favorites in this. What? A lot of your favorites in this. I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the voice acting, that's a, 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 a plus to Cora, is their voice acting cast. Phenomenal. Yes. Shout out to Janet Varney, who is, is phenomenal as Cora. Um, yeah, I mean, like, not much to talk about with Amon in this scene. Um, you know, I, I've i been hinting at, I, I really like Amon conceptually. I really don't like his ending. We'll talk about that when we get there. You know, this is just a nice tease. But I agree with you. Really great voice performance. And just even in this one right here, it's one line. But really sells off that, like, no, there's this guy. He's got something. He's a threat. Yep, yep. And it just, you know, I like Amon. He's not my favorite villain in Korra because, God, they have an all-star cast. But, like, if you were to throw Amon back into, like, Last Airbender and compare him to, like, the, I mean, Azula would be the only person that could beat him. Right in the last Airbender. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, all right, with that, we're going to come to the the end of our first core episode. So, why don't you, Corey, give us your final thoughts and your rating for Book One, Episode One, Welcome to Republic City? Well, I am really going into Book One fresh-faced. I don't remember a lot of book one. It's been so long since I watched it, especially this episode, and I really enjoyed myself. It's a phenomenal start to the series. The music is still there. The animation is still there. I definitely now like Korra more than I originally liked Korra. I I always liked Tenzin. I like, uh, you know, Amon. New Republic City is, is just gorgeous and and the technology evolution is just stunning to me and it, it was like when i first saw it again it was mesmerizing mesmerizing the use of bending is just as good the 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 way the police force are are, are metal benders there was just so much going on in this episode um that was right um and i, I love the use of katara i love the subtle way you know the the, the passing of the torch in, in quite the way and they they really jump right into this and they, they take risk and sometimes the risk pays off other times it doesn't but i would much rather a series be like Korra and and take risk outside of like counterparts like star wars where all the new star wars stuff leads in the nostalgia and visuals we've already seen and characters we already know i would much rather there be a a, a risk like Korra that sometimes fails and sometimes pays off uh, because I think artistically that's just that's better. It shows that you know the the creators care more just about making money. They're not going for the safest route just to appease everyone. So I, I give them a lot of respect for that. So uh, when it's all said and done, the first episode of Korra was really really good, and I'm giving it an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly very like I knew going into this I was gonna like Korra more than the first time I watched it, and this being I think the third time i've watched the series in full now but by this point i have nothing bad to say about this episode it's really really good it's a perfect introduction to Korra. it's a perfect introduction to the legend of Korra as a whole as a series we get to meet some really great characters in tenzin and lynn who i really like um you know the you know we get we even get to meet jenora who's one of my favorite characters in the series I, I have nothing I have nothing negative to say. I, this is really, really good. And, like, I'm really surprised I'm going this high, but I'm going to give this a 9.5 of a 10. I have nothing negative to say. I mean, is it, you know, is it perfect? I guess not. I mean, there's, I guess, some little things here and there. And there's nothing, like, you know, stunning about it. But, like, this is incredibly good television and an incredibly good start to this series. And I don't think I will be doing this again for, for the rest of this book. I mean, I think that there are, there are things about the... The book one that I that I still I'm sure have real problems with, but like right at the start, I have no complaints. So good job, guys! You really hit it out of the park with your first episode. And you know what? If if you watched the series once and had maybe had some complaints, I would absolutely say watch it a second time and use this as a way to really, um, you know, really get into it in a new way because I I just think that it is it is phenomenal. 
So with that, we will wrap things up. Thank you, Corey, for being here. Thank you for tuning in to our first episode of Cora. We shall be back next time with episode two, where we'll be meeting some of the, you know, most of the rest of our uh, main cast for book one, except there's one more who we meet in episode three. And then we'll be kind of off to the races. And keep in mind, Cora books are slow, less, you know, smaller than, than Avatar books. There are only 13 episodes to this. So, you know, we will be steaming on ahead right in, into the middle, you know, kind of a bit faster than we did in, in Last Airbender. So really get ready to, to get into this. So once again, thank you guys for, for tuning in and thanks to Corey for being here and we'll be back again.